I'd like to begin the new year of 2020 with a sermon entitled, Doing the Right Thing. Doing the Right Thing. You know, there's been a lot of famous people over the years that have come up with a lot of wonderful quotes regarding doing the right thing. Coach, author, and analyst Lou Holtz said this, I follow three rules. Do the right thing, do the best you can, and always show people you care. Basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, I try to do the right thing at the right time. They may just be little things, but usually they make the difference between winning and losing. Suppose he knows anything about winning. Anyway, moving on. Former British Prime Minister David Cameron said, I believe that in life you have to give things your best shot, do your best. You have to focus on what needs to be done and to do the right thing, not the popular thing. Author Tracy Kidder said, you do the right thing even if it makes you feel bad. You do the right thing even if it makes you feel bad. The purpose of life is not to be happy, but to be worthy of happiness. I thought that was incredibly insightful. Late American businessman W. Clement Stone said, have the courage to say no. Have the courage to face the truth. Do the right thing because it is right. These are the keys to living your life with integrity. A couple of more, American businessman Rex Tillerson said, your personal integrity, once established and earned, people don't have to think about it. They know. They know you. They know you'll do the right thing every time. Seems to me where I read somewhere in the scriptures about a good name being worth more than gold. And finally, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. That old law about an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. <laughs> the time is always right to do the right thing. Now, obviously, these are, are mere men. They're certainly not inspired. But some of the things that they had to say, very, very biblical in their context. But far more importantly for us, obviously, than what any human being says is what God says, what the scripture says. And I want to tell you this morning a few references that I found having to do with doing the right thing. Psalm 145 in verse 17 says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. Well, doesn't that mean if the Lord is righteous in all his ways that we who have been made righteous through the blood ought to be righteous in all our ways as well? Had we not ought to do the right thing? Psalm 33 in verse four, the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. Psalm 11 in verse seven, the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. What does that tell you about doing the right thing? 
it is doing the right thing that causes us to be like God. God loves righteousness and his countenance beholds those who are upright, as the scripture says, or who do the right thing. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And, and there again, you see that because God always does the right thing, when we do the right and godly thing, we reflect him to the world around us shows that we are his children. In fact, in 1 John 3, 7, just a few verses later, it says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And finally, going back to the Old Testament one more time, in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 18, it says, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. When we do, those things that are right. When we do the right thing, we're blessed by God, and it goes well with us. And so this morning, again, I want to talk about doing the right thing in all circumstances, because let's face it, doing the right thing is often very difficult. Doing the right thing is quite often difficult, and quite often it, recur it requires, I can say that word, Quite often, it requires a lot of personal effort and personal sacrifice. It's easier to go with the flow. It's easier to just not necessarily do the right thing. Maybe some, maybe not that which is 100% wrong, but it's easier not to do the right thing. It requires a lot of personal sacrifice. Please open with me this morning in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 13, and we'll show you a case of this. It's hard sometimes to do the right thing. If it were easy, more people would do the right thing more often. Good case in point is found in Deuteronomy 13. Begin in verse one. God said to his Old Testament people, and obviously as we go on here and talk about stoning people, we're not under this law, but the, 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 the uh, the truth, the concept is well established here. Doesn't mean we go out and do bad things to people. But Deuteronomy 13.1, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. Even if what he says does come true, what does it say? You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He said if somebody comes along and tells you to do something that isn't what, the, what God said is right, it isn't the right thing to do according to God. He said God is allowing that to test you to see if you're truly devoted to doing the right thing, to doing what God said. Verse 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him. Keep His commandments. Obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall put away the evil from your midst. Now, again, this was to God's Old Testament people. This was to the Israelites who had been led out of Egypt. This was to the Jews. But 
God hasn't changed. The same truth is that we must not allow people, no matter how difficult it is to us personally, we must not allow other people, even those who are closest to us, to convince us to go against what God said. You want to see how tough it gets? Let's look at the next few verses. If your brother, he's not talking about your brother in the faith. He makes that clear. If your brother, the son of your mother, your biological brother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. Wow! And you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you from the Lord your God who brought you out of the hand of Egypt from the house of bondage. You want to talk about tough? Look at the relationships. But God says, I've, I come first. And he said, you got to do the right thing. Now, we know reflections of this without killing them. We know reflections of this in the New Testament where we are told that we are not to love anybody more than we love God and we're not to allow anybody to turn us away from doing the right thing, doing what God said. But think of how difficult this would have been. Your spouse, your child, your own brother says, hey, we don't have to do things God's way. We can worship this other way. We can worship this other God. Look at what he says. You want to talk about tough? That's tough. Doing the right thing can be very difficult. He goes on in verses 12 through 16 to explain about others who might lead you astray. Look how he wraps up the chapter in verses 17 and 18. He says this, So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy. Have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, watch this, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. He said, if you don't allow anybody else to carry you away, then God's going to bless you, but you've got to do the right thing, and he'll bless you for doing the right thing. He'll bless you for staying with him, no matter the cost, the consequences, or the personal sacrifice. You've got to do the right thing, and God, he says, will bless you, because you've chosen to do exactly that. This morning, I want to share some biblical truths with you about doing the right thing. And again, it can be very difficult at times to do it. But we must. The first of the four that I'd like to share with you is this. How can you always tell when you're faced with two choices which one's right? How can you always tell when faced with two choices or more which way is right? Which is the right way? Which is the right choice? How do you do the right thing? I'm going to share with you a couple of, of ways to figure that out. The right way, the right thing to do in all circumstances is always and forever to do exactly what God's Word says. 
That's how you know. What does God's word say? God's word is the right way. If you want to know the right way to do something, when you've got two or more choices, the right way to do it is to do what God said in his word always because God's way is always right. Psalm 19, 7 through 9 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes, here we go, the statutes of the Lord are right. Doing the right thing is doing what God's word says. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord, watch this, are true and righteous. Altogether. How do we know which is the right way? Because it's whatever God's word says is right. But there's another way we can tell when faced with two choices which one is the right one. <laughs> Most of the time. Think about this. The right way, the right thing to do, is almost always the most difficult. It is. Think, think about it in your own life. Think about times you've had to make a decision, whether to do it this way, that way, some other way. And, and when you really think about it, doing the right thing is almost always the most difficult thing. Why is it in the church when we have a problem with a brother or sister, we don't go to that brother or sister? We know it's the right thing to do because that's what the scripture tells us, Matthew 18. Why don't we do that? Because it's tough to face the person I'm accusing of something. A lot easier to go tell everybody else and round up a gang and go get him. The most difficult thing is to sit down with a brother and say, is there an issue between us? What part of it's my responsibility and what can I do to fix it? That's a lot tougher than going to tell everybody else what a rotten brother he is. The right thing is almost always the most difficult one. Think about this with me from a scriptural perspective. Jesus, in the account according to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, the third of Jesus' temptations there, the devil shows him all the kingdoms of time in a moment, and he says, all these you can have if you'll bow down and worship me. What's he saying? Jesus, you can avoid the scourging. You can avoid the cross. You can avoid all of that difficulty. What does Jesus say? May I paraphrase? No way. You shall serve the Lord your God only. Serve and worship the Lord your God only. What was the right thing? Did Jesus do the right thing? Absolutely. What did that mean? That was the most difficult choice. When Jesus did that, that meant he still had to go through the scourging, the mocking, the crucifixion, the beating, all of it. He, Satan says, you can have the easy way. All the kingdoms of the world I'll give you. you just bow down and worship me. You got two choices, Jesus. Which one are you going to do? Which one's the right one? The hardest one. Didn't Jesus do that throughout his ministry? Didn't he prove that often the right thing to do is the most difficult. Think about when he was arrested. What did, he, what did he tell his disciples? He said, don't you know that I could call my heavenly father and he would put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus said, I take care of this like that. That would have been the easy way out. He didn't do it, did he? He did the right thing. What was the right thing, the toughest thing? 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Difficult is the way. The right way is the difficult way. Number two, another truth regarding doing the right thing. Doing the right thing is always a choice. Doing the right thing is always a choice that one must make despite the temptation to do something else. It's always a choice. Some folks in this town have made some real bad choices over the last few days. It's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. Doing the right thing is a choice that one must make, despite the temptation to do otherwise. Turn to me in your Bibles to Genesis 4. Check this out and see the truth of it. You've got to make the choice to do the right thing. It's not just going to fall on you. God's not just going to zap you and make you do the right thing. It's a choice you've got to make. It's a choice that every one of us must make despite the temptation to do otherwise. There's going to be temptations to do the wrong thing all the time. Satan is going to overload you with opportunities to do the wrong thing. But the right thing is a choice that you must make despite that temptation to do otherwise. Genesis 4, follow along please from verse 3. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Watch this, if you do well, in other words, if you do the right thing, which he hadn't, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. you got two choices here. If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. If you don't, sin's going to get you. And sin's desire is to rule over you. But you have the choice. You must rule over it, verse 7. Doing the right thing is always a choice that one must make despite the temptation to do otherwise. And here's the thing. Anger, anger always destroys the ability to do the right thing. Anger, brethren, this is why the New Testament tells us we gotta get rid of anger. Anger always destroys your ability to do the right thing. When you're angry, it will overrule doing the right thing. We would see that both here in Genesis 4, we'd also see it in Numbers 20, 7 through 12. You know the story there. Moses is angry and frustrated with the people, so he doesn't do what God told him to. He's frustrated, he's angry, and he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. In his anger, he did not obey God, and we see where that got him. Thirdly, doing the right thing is something that will often cause you to have to stand alone. It's easy for all of us to be united here and do the right thing when it comes to worship, but out there, outside of these walls, when we're not together for worship and study, when we're not together as the body of Christ, 
Doing the right thing, number three, is something that will cause you often to have to stand alone. Sometimes against members of your own family. Worse yet, sometimes against members of the very family of God itself. In reference to your own family, turn to me to Matthew 10, and there are many of us in this congregation who know and have experienced this. Doing the right thing can often cause you to have to stand alone against your own family. Matthew 10, beginning at verse 32, if you'd follow along with me, please. Jesus said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And now Matthew 10, 33. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Doing the right thing will sometimes cause us to have to stand against our own family, stand alone. Not only our own family, but also our adopted family, if that fits. Hebrews 11, turn there. Did you ever think of it in these terms? In Hebrews 11, when we read there about Moses, Moses had to stand alone against his adopted family. His adopted family that obviously treated him very well, saved his life. Hebrews 11, 24. Moses had to stand alone to do the right thing says there, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. We'll talk a lot more about that word later on, but for right now, Moses stood alone against his entire very rich adopted family. We see an example of that. You know, we're all pretty familiar with 1 Peter 3. We know there in verses 18 through 22. Turn there with me, would you please? 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, it talks about Noah and it talks about how baptism now saves us. This act of faith and the working of God. How it now saves us. But I want you to watch what comes after that, because a lot of times we stop at the end of chapter 3. It tells us in verse 21 that baptism now saves us. Talks about how that makes us subject to Christ. Talks about this good conscience we have as we 
rise to walk in newness of life, but then we often take chapter 4 and just disconnect it. Like the train you see sitting up here on the track, it's disconnected from the engine, just sitting there dead in the water, as it were. We often take chapter 4 and disconnect. We can't disconnect chapter 4 from chapter 3. In chapter 3, he's talked about, again, baptism and how it saves you, but then look what he goes right on to. Therefore, and we know what the therefore is therefore, right? It connects it to what he just said. Therefore. He said, I'm going back to what I just said. Because of what I just said, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, 1 Peter 4, 1, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Don't miss what Peter is doing right here. When you are baptized into Christ, when you obey the gospel, if you come from a group of family and friends that do not believe that you have to do that, what are they going to do? Many of you felt the sting of this. They're going to reject what you've done. They're going to have a big problem that you no longer live the sinful life that you used to live. They're going to have a big problem that you no longer see things as they see them, do things as they do them, or maybe even worship as they worship. They're going to have a huge problem with you. Chapter 3. So therefore, chapter 4, he said you still got to do the right thing and live for God. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them into the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. When you are baptized into Christ, when you start living a new life, you don't live like you used to live, this flows right out of that. There's going to be people that when you start doing the right thing, they're going to have all kinds of nasty things to say about you. They're going to revile you. They're going to reject you. They're not going to understand why you don't do the things you used to do because now you're doing the right thing. And they think it's strange, verse 4, but look what he says in verse 5. They're going to have to give an account of him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. It's not you that's going to be called into account. When you do the right thing and you live for God, even if you're the only one in your family, it's they, it's they who are going to have to give an account, not you, to God. He goes on to say, down through here, look at verse 12, what he says. Beloved, do not think it strange, and this is all connected, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. In other words, when you stand up and do the right thing, there's going to be people that are not going to like it. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of his sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, if people get on you for doing the right thing because that's what Christ said to do, Peter says, you're blessed. See that? Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he is blasphemed. When they get after you for doing the right thing, they're blaspheming God. But on your part, he is glorified. You glorify God when you continue to do what God said to do, when you continue to do the right thing. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God in this matter. How do you glorify God? By keeping on doing the right thing, no matter what. 
but it's not only our biological families, it's not only our former friends, acquaintances, they're not the only ones that sometimes we have to stand alone against. Did you know that there are many cases in the Bible? Not just one or two, but there are multiple cases in the Bible where doing the right thing often caused one member of God's people to have to stand against other members of God's people who were not doing the right thing. Let me give you just a few examples. In Exodus 32, you remember the story, Moses comes down off the mountain, the people are worshiping, Aaron has made him a golden calf, and they're singing and dancing and worshiping. You remember the story, I'm sure. Those were all God's people. But what did Moses shout out? He said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And they went through the camp, and they killed 3,000 people of God that day according to verse 28 of Exodus 32. They had to take a stand within the family of God at that point. What about Joshua and Caleb? Joshua and Caleb had to stand against their own peer group. There were 12 spies sent into the promised land. They went over, they saw, they came back. 10 of them gave a bad report. Joshua and Caleb, what did they do? They had to stand, they didn't stand alone. I suppose you could say they stood alone together, but there was two of them out of the 12. They had to stand against their own peer group. They were all God's people, but they had to stand against them. And it could have cost them their lives. Numbers 13. But you know what? Here's the beauty of this. Decades, decades of that mindset did not change Joshua. Joshua and Caleb, as these younger men, they stood up against their peer group, they did the right thing, they were all by themselves pretty much, of the, they were of the 12, but you know what, Joshua didn't stop, just listen, just because you lose a friend or just because the going gets tough, doesn't mean you stop doing the right thing. Look, look as an old man at what Joshua said, look at me in Joshua 24. The same Joshua, decades later, look what he says in Joshua 24. He hasn't changed one iota. He's still doing the right thing. Joshua 24, very familiar passage. What's he telling the people? Joshua still standing up saying, you know what? <laughs> you need to do the right thing. And you know what? Even if y'all don't, Southern, right? Even if y'all don't, I'm still gonna. I'm not going to stop doing the right thing because God is that important. And he's talking to God's people. Joshua 24, look at verses 14 and 15. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord! He hasn't stopped. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, Joshua says, let me tell you something. You do what you want, but I'm going to do the right thing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, I'm going to do the right thing. You do what you want. You better do this. For whether you do or not, I'm going to. Turn to me in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11, there's quite an interesting passage here. 1 Corinthians 11, in the New Testament church in Corinth, 
Church of Christ there has got all kinds of problems, divisions, things going on. But just a case in the New Testament where sometimes you've got to do the right thing, even amongst your brethren in the church, if that's where you have to do it. In 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17, watch this. Paul writes the Church of Christ in first century Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11:17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worst. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Stop right there. God wants his church to be living in unity, right? 1 Corinthians 1:10, unity, not division. No divisions among you, 1 Corinthians 1.10. And yet this church has divisions. Because there is one exception to that rule. There is an exception to that rule. When God says, I don't want there to be any divisions among you, there's a, there is an exception. You know what it is? When certain members of the church want to go off and do those things which are not right in the sight of God, you are to divide from them. Look what it says here. In 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 19. Look what he says. For there must also be factions. He said there's got to be divisions among you. Why? That those who are approved may be recognized among you. He said, look, if some of you are doing the wrong thing, there's going to be divisions. And it has to be that way so that the ones that are doing the right thing will be obvious and evident to all. If we read Revelation 2 and 3, we would see that as well. A lot of tough stuff this morning, a lot of tough things to think about, but here's point number four about doing the right thing, and this is the one I want to get to. This is the one that makes all the other previous three so much more attractive, perhaps, as a word. Number four, if you don't get anything else from this lesson, get this. Doing the right thing, never, big capital letters, in bold, underline, big font, never. Doing the right thing never goes unnoticed or unrewarded by God. Doing the right thing never, ever goes unnoticed or unrewarded by God. If you have to stand alone, no matter which circle it is that we're talking about that you're in. If you have to stand alone to do the right thing, God never misses that. He never lets it go unappreciated. He never lets it go unrewarded. This is the thing. No matter how small or great the sacrifice, no matter how much it takes to stand alone, God never misses it. Ever. Matthew 10, 42, and whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by what? No means lose his reward. God notices even a cup of cold water given in his name. He said, I'm not going to forget that. That's not going unrewarded. When you do the right thing, I didn't miss it. You will not lose your reward for standing there and doing the right thing, even if it is the smallest of right things. Speaking of God's rewarding those who do the right thing, no matter the cost, 
no matter if they have to stand all by themselves, there is simply no greater example that has ever been given than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. Brethren, don't miss this. Don't miss the fact that, yes, it's difficult to do the right thing, to stand alone, but God will reward it far above and beyond anything it will ever cost you or I. It's what happened with Jesus. Look at the reward for standing alone, doing the right thing. Let this mind, Philippians 2.5, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who also, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Notice he made a choice. He chose to do the right thing. He chose to do what God told him to do. He chose to do what the scripture said he must do. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, and we all know what the therefore is therefore, right? connects it to that. Therefore, because of that, because he did the right thing, because no matter what the cost, he did the right thing, therefore, God has, also, has highly exalted him. And that's the reason. And given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus did the right thing. Always. Therefore, he has been rewarded higher than we can ever imagine. Must have been hard to hang on that cross. I, I, can't, I can't fathom. And then to be separated from his father for the only time in all, he, all that he took, I can't begin to imagine. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 5, 6 through 9 that Jesus' prayers were heard because of his reverent submission. The reason that Christ's prayers were heard and the reason, as we just read in Philippians 2, that his obedience was, was rewarded was because Jesus Christ did not stop doing the right thing no matter the cost. He did not stop. He never just gave up and went along with the unfaithful crowd when the going got tough. That's why he was rewarded. Those who always follow the master's footsteps those people who choose and make that choice daily to do the right and biblical thing, no matter what it costs them personally, no matter what the crowd does cumulatively, nor what consequences they face immediately, can always, big letters, always, always, without fail, be guaranteed that God will reward your doing the right thing in incredible ways, always, always. I wanna share several texts before we close that prove this. Please turn to them with me. If you're somebody this morning who's known the pain of standing alone, who's lost relationships by standing alone, who's done the right thing and it's hurt, and sometimes you wonder, is this really worth it? I know the right thing to do, but wow, it just looks like I'm, I'm losing so much. I wanna share four texts with you this morning to prove to you that God never, ever fails to reward you, and he won't. The first one is Matthew chapter five. Verses 10 through 12. Be encouraged this morning by our God, brethren. 
Because as a Christian, if you've never had to stand alone, you will. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, the first of four texts I want to share. Be encouraged. As we covered in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, the word blessed here means happy. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, look at the promise. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, those who do the right thing. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your what? Your reward. Did Jesus say that? Is that true? Great is your reward in heaven. Is that what it means? It's exactly what it means. He said, you rejoice when you stand alone and it costs you people. Rejoice, for great is your reward. Watch that word reward. Look at it in this passage. Matthew 16, turn there with me, verses 24 through 27. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. It's the right thing to do. And take up his cross. And that's going to hurt. And follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. Don't let yourself get in the way of doing the right thing. Because when Christ comes, he's going to reward you standing alone. Doing the right thing for the right reason, even if no one else does, because the reward is worth it. Colossians 3, turn there, please. Colossians chapter 3. Brethren, we have an awesome God. Not one single solitary time that we have to stand up and do the right thing, even if it's by ourselves, will he fail to reward ever. Colossians 3, 23 through 25, look what it says. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Doing the right thing is a choice. Do the right thing and let God bless you for it. And finally, Revelation 22, verses 12 through 14. Take a look at those. Chapter 22 of Revelation, verses 12 through 14, written to, written to people whose faith were costing them their lives. They were being tortured. They were being murdered. They were watching those they loved be murdered. Torches in Nero's garden 
had happened, all of those sorts of things, wild beasts, all of it for their faith. And what's the message of Revelation? You keep on doing the right thing because God is going to reward it far more than it costs you. If it costs you everything, God's got more than that to give back to you. Do the right thing even when it hurts. And look what he says in Revelation 22, 12 through 14 about that reward. He says, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward. Jesus says, this is my reward. I'm going to be there. I'm going to give it to them. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What is the point of all that? The point is Jesus says, look, I was before the beginning. I'll be after the end. And I'm telling you right now, nothing is going to stop me from giving my reward to those people done what I've asked them to, who have done the right thing, who have stayed faithful no matter what. Blessed are those, verse 14, who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. I want that. That's what I want right there. I want to enter and I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that means sometimes in this life I'm going to have to stand alone for what's right. Okay. Because I get a lot more than I'll ever lose by doing that. I want to encourage you all in 2020, for as long as you're here on this planet, to do the right thing. And as we get ready to close, I want to just take what we've talked about this morning and apply it for a couple of minutes to baptism. I appreciated so much Kirk's comments at the closing of the announcements. Please don't miss this. Just because you hear the word baptism, don't think, oh good, he's almost done. Hopefully, we'll have 30 people come forward to be baptized. They'll come in the front doors as I say this. We'll be here all day. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have 30 baptisms this morning? Applying everything we've said to baptism. Doing the right thing for the right reason. That is because the Bible says so. Is a free will choice that everybody has to make one way or the other. They have to make it when it comes to salvation initially then they have to make it on a daily and hourly basis to do the right thing. <laughs> Doing the right thing on initially being saved begins by hearing the gospel and then believing the gospel enough to confess that Jesus is Lord, to repent or to turn your life over to God, and as a result of that, by being baptized specifically for the forgiveness of your sins. Not because you've already been saved or think you have, not because of any other reason than for the forgiveness of your sins. How do I know that's the right reason for baptism? Because that's what the book says, and whatever the book says is always right. So doing the right thing means being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, because that's what the Word says. And then, not just being baptized, that, that's like birth, that's the being born again process. Rising up out of this water to live in a new way, a different way, a way that, that all my past mistakes have been erased and cleansed when I was baptized, when I was buried with him in baptism and I obeyed the gospel. And I rise up to walk in newness of life. From that day forward, I keep my slate as clean as I can by doing the right thing, even when it hurts. Living, learning, serving, and doing the right thing on a daily basis. Even if nobody else in my family does. Because they have not studied enough yet to believe it. Even if I have to stand alone in every circle I'm in. 
I'm going to do the right thing because I know that doing the right thing will be rewarded by God. Right now, are you ready to walk out of this building having done the right thing? If you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to do that. It's the right thing. You may have to stand alone. Okay. If you've already done that, maybe you need the prayers of the church to stand stronger. To stand stronger when you're the only one, whether it's at your school, at your place of work, in your family, in your circle, wherever it is. If you just need the prayers of the strength and you prayers of the church for strength, and you say, you know what? I want to do the right thing. I know I need to do the right thing, and I need the prayers of the saints to help me always do the right thing. We'd love to pray for you, wouldn't we, church? It'd be an awesome thing. If we can help you this morning do the right thing. Because the eternal and heavenly reward is infinitely far more worth anything than it will cost you to do the right thing. Please come to the front right now. Let us know how we can do that as we stand and sing, not because we like to hear ourselves sing, but to encourage you to come forward so that we can help right now. <laughs>